We are wrapping up our Sermon on the Mount journey today. We're in a series called King Jesus, uh, Gospel According to Matthew. And we've been in the Sermon on the Mount the last three weeks. So we'll finish up the Sermon on the Mount uh, today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7. And we'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, Every Excuse me, every week in the Sermon on the Mount, I've been reminding you that this is one message. This is a message. It's three chapters, but it's a message. And the purpose of the message is that there has been kingdom of heaven breakthrough in the here and now. The Messiah of God has come. The Savior of the world has come. Heaven now is the message. Breakthrough now. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, were the words of Jesus that he was proclaiming all over the region of Galilee before he had uh, an opportunity to teach the Sermon on the Mount outside of the ancient city of Capernaum. Uh, Divine life now is the invitation. For example, last week we talked about together uh, this reality of kingdom breakthrough that we don't have to be anxious anymore. Like we don't have to live with anxiety and worry and fear anymore because we're learning to trust and have confidence in the sovereignty of God and in his purposes and in his plans and in his promises that those things of the world can be rooted out of our lives. Um, Grace tells us, chapter five, grace tells us who we are Grace proclaims to us an identity over our lives, our standing, our standing in Christ, our security in Christ. Chapter six, grace also tells us who we can become, tells us who you are, and it tells us who you can become, how we can be transformed in our lives, what our lives look like, our practice, our Christ Likeness. One of the things that I said last week that I want to remind you of, grace empowers us to be in our lives who we already are in our standing. That we catch up in our lives who we are in our standing, fully forgiven, fully righteous, holy because of Christ. So these are the realities that God has been inviting us to be transformed by in our minds And the invitation of grace is for all to come and everyone's invited and everybody's gonna get empowered and transformed. But the reality about God, and we just sang that song, The Goodness of God, the reality about God is God is not a tyrant. Jesus is not a tyrant. And so while the invitation is for all to come, uh, God does not control us. He's in control. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Uh, but he doesn't control us. We're not robots. We're not pawns on a board. Um, And so while the invitation is for everyone to come, the truth of the matter is not everyone does. And the invitation is for everyone to trust in the unmerited favor of God and the the filling of God's spirit in our lives to be transformed unto Christ's likeness. The invitation is for all of us to be transformed, but not not everyone is. And this is chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm gonna do a little bit of a different flow today as I normally would. Typically, we would just begin at the beginning of the chapter and work our way through to the end of the chapter. I wanna start on the back half of chapter seven and we're gonna work forward. And um, the reason why I wanted to do that is because there's a couple of word pictures and a pretty stern 
kind of chilling warning, honestly, of Jesus to the people listening. And those word pictures and warning comes out of his exhortation at the beginning of the chapter. And I just thought it might be helpful for us to talk about the word pictures and the warning first and then get to verses one to 12 at the end. These are familiar word pictures, really familiar passages that we'll be working through to start with this morning. The first word picture is this, the wide gate and the narrow gate. And Jesus gives us this word picture in verses 13 and 14. Again, Matthew chapter seven. And he tells the people listening, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Like Jesus is inaugurating the reality of the new covenant of the radical unmerited favor of God by his grace. And the invitation is for everyone to come. And then he says in this verse that grace is the narrow gate. It's interesting, isn't it? Like grace is radically inclusive to every person. Grace welcomes all who will come, but the grace of Jesus is the narrow gate. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I I think it is because most of us, we wanna earn it. We wanna achieve it. Most of us want to be rewarded for our doing. And grace is the unmerited favor of God. Let go of your doing. Let go of your achieving. Let go of your performance. And everyone gets to come. See, this mindset of earning, achieving, doing it ourselves, that mindset is religious performance. Uh, That mindset is worldly self-esteem. And that's what Jesus calls the wide gate. Narrow is the gate of his grace. Word picture number one. Word picture number two, wise and foolish builders. Verses 24 to 27. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Why are we talking about practice? (laughs) Sorry, Allen Iverson, NBA. I I didn't do it in the first service and I couldn't help it. I just did it. I literally got through the entire first service and I didn't do the Allen Iverson. Why are we talking about practice? If you're not a basketball person, please forgive me. If you are a basketball person, you're like, yes, he did it again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice actually hears my words and does what I'm saying, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, which is our life, right? The word picture, it's our life. What are we building our life on? 
The winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Who is wise? Who are the wise people? Who has wisdom? Jesus is saying it's those who hear the teaching, the teaching from the kingdom of heaven, from the savior, from the Messiah, and puts them into practice in our lives. Last week I said our faith grows, faith grows when our faith comes under tension. It grows, it, 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 it grows, it gets stronger. I would say today from Matthew 7 that our faith grows when we put it into practice. What Jesus is saying in the second word picture is very similar to what his half-brother James, one of his 12 disciples, would say later when he is teaching and writing his letter. And he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then he says, deceiving yourselves. That when we only hear and we don't put things into practice, we deceive ourselves. We're like foolish people that are building our lives on sand and there's no rootedness there. And when the winds come and the winds come and the storms come, we don't have any footing. We don't have any grounding in our lives. Um, Honest question for us to consider in thinking about this second word picture. What are we building our lives on? Are you more attracted in your life to fake people Religious performance people, people who put on masks and perform, are you more attracted to fake people or real, genuine, authentic people? Honest question. I wanna answer for you, but I think the answer is real, authentic people. That's what we're attracted to. That's what I'm attracted to. We're not attracted to hypocrisy. We're not attracted to people that put on masks and go the route of religious performance and all those things that we talked about last week. Um, But here's a humble question for us to consider in what Jesus is teaching us today about our own lives. Are we being the type of authentic people in our lives that we want slash demand other people to be in their life? Can we, can we call ourselves to that in a wisdom sort of way as well? Two word pictures, narrow gate, wide gate, wise builders, foolish builders, and then a warning, a warning with the word pictures. Um, I think perhaps one of the most chilling, serious things that Jesus talks to us about in the ways we think about his messiahship and his invitation for us to be free in Christ. Um, Verses 15 to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By by the evidence of their lives, you will recognize if they're authentic or if they are a false teacher. Just look at their lives. Like, look beyond what they say. Look at what their fruit looks like. And then he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and even perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Whew. Serious. Serious teaching from the goodness of God. Serious teaching for us to consider from the gracious, loving goodness of God for us this morning. Consider this with me. Why would Jesus offer this, these illustrations, these word pictures, and this stern warning to people who were listening there on that day to, for us today, here and now? Is it because he is mean or is it because he is loving and he wants us to understand the truth of the matter? I believe that his love, his love for the disciples, for people, out of the love that he has offers these word pictures and these and this warning. I think about parents, parents in the room. Um, why do we as parents, for those who are parents, offer life illustrations or offer stern warnings to our kids about life and about the dangers to be aware of. Why do we do that? Because we want our kids to be protected, right? Because we want our kids to grow in wisdom so they will learn how to traverse life. It's not because we want to be mean to them. It's because we love them and want to protect them. Would you guys agree with that? It's the reality of the goodness of God that offers these word pictures and these warnings for us, for us to consider this morning. Um, I have been making a statement for many years. I didn't know this was from Dallas Willard, um, but it is from Dallas Willard, and so I want to give him the credit. But I've been making this statement, oop, it's already up, for a long time. Oop, 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 we're going against each other. Pat, you bring it up, thank you. God is opposed to earning, but he is not opposed to our effort. And I would even say perhaps like God is opposed to earning. The gospel has nothing to do with us earning salvation, but the gospel certainly is an empowered message by his grace and his Holy Spirit for our effort or our practice, our lives. And an, an empowered effort, an empowered obedience from the heart is the kingdom breakthrough that's happening with Jesus. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, 
that our righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. How is that possible? Because our righteousness has nothing to do with this outside in righteousness and has everything to do with an imputed righteousness in the heart that God gives us to be transformed by. That's the change. That's the breakthrough that was happening. I'm gonna rapid fire some quotes for you. Jerry Bridges and thinking about practice, what wisdom, put these things into practice. There's no such thing as grudging obedience. For an action to be truly obedient to God, it must be done from a motivation of genuine love and gratitude to him. It's a working out what God has worked in us already. Jerry Bridges again, the gospel fully understood will always push us, will always empower us, will always move us, fully understood. Like be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The gospel fully understood will always push us to be in our practice what we already are in our standing before God. This is kingdom breakthrough. And so as we get into Matthew 7, 1 to 12, where we're gonna zone in now, Uh, Jesus will alert us to more uh, real life relevant stuff and how our attitudes and our practices either align with the kingdom breakthrough of heaven or they align with the way of our flesh or the way of the world uh, of self-esteem. Authentic Christian practice, transformation. That's what we're talking about again this morning. Now, if you have your Bible open, Uh, What is the heading above chapter seven in your Bible? Somebody tell me what it says. Judging others. So statement, kingdom breakthrough, real kingdom of heaven breakthrough in our lives will transform how we treat people. Agree? Like real kingdom, it will transform how we get along with each other, how we treat people. Statement, this is a pretty relevant topic. Agree? We talked about hypocrisy last week. We talked about worry last week. We're talking about judging others this week. Uh, Pretty relevant. Um, Question, how many of you in this room have been hurt, wounded by judgment, condemnation from another professed Christian follower of Jesus in your life? A lot of us, a lot of us. This is why Jesus addresses it. It's so relevant, it's so important. I believe that um, this conversation The judgment of others is a universal human reality. And so in humility, as we think about these words, I just wanna say this with you, in humility, we we all struggle here. We all need transformation here. Um, And I wanna assure you as I work through these verses, I remember being in first grade, Miss Bradford's class, and the rule wasn't we couldn't talk when she leave the class. And what we'd end up doing is like, somebody would whisper something, somebody would point at them. And then Kelly, you just laugh, so pointing at you. And then the reality of like pointing in judgment, 
You guys have seen this before. You got three other fingers pointing right back at you, right? So I just want to say as I'm teaching this, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm just, I'm just going to do this. And I would invite you to do the same as we read through these verses in humility this morning. This is about the goodness of God transforming our minds and our hearts and our lives into Christ-likeness. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, you religious performer, you mask wearer, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs, and if you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Let's, let us be wise, humble. In this kingdom breakthrough sermon, Sermon on the Mount, we have already been exhorted as the people of God, as disciples of Christ, to lay aside our retributive anger We have been exhorted to lay aside our lust, our manipulation of others, our revenge tactics, our hypocrisy, our materialism, our worry, like the goodness of God is helping us root all of these things that aren't from the kingdom of heaven. They're from the kingdom of this world. And God in his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love is helping us see where we're blind so that we can root out flesh, world, and receive and walk in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven breakthrough in Jesus. And today we get to the judgment of others. Statement. Judging others is not the way to love and truly care for people. And it looks like a whole lot of things, I think. Sometimes I think it looks like, well... I mean, if, if I were you, then I would, or you should. <laughs> I think it looks like, hey, I mean, I don't, did, did you hear about, did you hear about, did you know, did you hear about that? It looks like that. Um, using shame and guilt tactics in people. Relationally, sometimes it's just flat out in your face judgment. But I think most of the time, because we're Christian, it's silent judgment of one another. And we hold it, we hold it in. Um, hey, if I, if I were you, if I were you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have those Harry Potter books in your home or have your kids read Harry Potter books because it's a story about witches, don't you know? 
hey, thanks for that, but don't you watch R-rated movies all the time? Hey, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was at a wedding that Jason officiated. And at the reception, he was drinking a beer. And he's a pastor. It's true. Well, he's of age, right? I mean, the guy's like 48 years old. Um, was, he, was he drinking responsibly? Well, yeah, but he's a pastor. By the way, while, while I don't drink alcohol, I struggle with gossip, a loose tongue, and laziness. I cannot believe that so-and-so drives such an expensive car. We are called to give to the poor. Like brazen, silent judgment. Not even knowing, not even knowing how generous this person is with their time and their talent and their treasures. You see how this thing creeps in? Judgment is our plans and our best for the person we're judging. And it brings division and all other sorts of things to the person um, that we are judging or helping. Maybe, maybe for us this morning, maybe we could consider the fact that we don't know the full story. We don't know the full story. We don't know their struggles. I saw this on Savannah's Instagram page and she has such a tender heart of compassion toward people. And it just says this, be always gentle Every heart hides wounds that don't bleed. That'll preach. Thank you, Savannah. I was talking uh, with this about Lindsay because actually I wanted her to read kind of my examples and then I was gonna do this illustration. I'm like, is it too much? Is it too much? I don't know. And she just, you know, we were engaging on it and she said, here's what I think. I just, if we just need to listen to people. We just need to do a better job of hearing people's stories. And their story may not be our struggle and their struggle might not be our struggle, but we also got struggles. And if we could just lean into each other's lives with compassion and empathy, I think that would be so beautiful. Maybe consider Jesus's instruction on how to truly care and love others well in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's gonna call us not to judge, 
And then in verses seven to 12, he's gonna help us understand how to do that. Like if we're not gonna judge, here's the exchange. We would, let's, let's do this instead. And so as a loving teacher, he's gonna help us practically walk this out. So Matthew 7, 7 to 12, ask, ask, ask questions. Ask questions. That's a, that's a loving thing to do, right? Ask, ask questions, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. Knock. You knock on a door, and you wait for the door to be opened, right? Like, I can knock on the door of your heart, but it's up to you to open the door. Like, I... I'm not forcing my way in. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna knock, knock. And the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Verse 12 is known as what? The golden rule. There it is. Sermon on the Mount. Chapter seven, golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is how we are to be gracious, effective, kingdom of heaven effectiveness. I believe in the place of judgment, blame, and condemnation, asking questions, seeking God together, praying for one another. This creates a community, a relationship centered in love and kindness and compassion. Instead of behaving in judgment, which creates division, we behave in love and compassion, which creates a community of love, which is the kingdom breakthrough. And then we get to verse 12, this golden rule. Like this is how, this is how godly love behaves. I don't know how else to say it. Like this is how godly love behaves. And I want to show you something that was interesting to me this week that I think, that I think is significant for us uh, to see. Um, in verse 12, uh, there is a conjunction in the Greek that didn't show up in my NIV translation. And then I looked at the ESV translation and it didn't show up in the ESV translation either. Uh, but it does show up in the New American Standard, the NAS, the New King James Version. And the Greek conjunction is this. And it's translated, therefore, or now then, or accordingly so. Um, and when we get to a therefore in scripture, we always wanna say, what's the therefore, therefore? So every, everything that Jesus has been saying from verses one to 11 is summed up now in the golden rule. And this is, this is how the NASB translates Matthew 7, 12. In everything, therefore, 
Everything that I've been talking with you about, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This, this is all of the law and the prophets. Why do I believe that it's important to show you this Greek conjunction? Because seeing the conjunction means that we need to connect verse 12 with the first 11 verses. Verse 12 is the summary statement of the first 11 verses. We don't read verses one to six as separate from verses seven to 11, which can be easy to do with these um, titles above the verses, which by the way is not the inerrancy of scripture. Translators put those in there to kind of keep things organized. So when you see judging others above verse one, that's not part of the authority of scripture. That's not part of the inerrancy of scripture. Translators put that in. When you see ask, seek, knock above verse seven, that's what translators have put in there. And when we read this in our English and we look at this, it's like, oh, we got these verses about judging others. And then we've got these verses about ask, seek, knock. And the reality in the language, it's all one thing summarized in verse 12. Instead of judging others, we are to treat them the way we want to be treated. That's the message. Here's the big question from last week that I invited us to consider. Do we even believe it's possible for us to live without anxiety and worry? And what I said was, I don't believe that Jesus would exhort us to do it if his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his Holy Spirit would not empower us to get there. And I think the same thing today in judgment. Do we even believe that it's possible to live our lives without the judgment of others? Can your life be a judgment-free zone always? Do you think that's possible? I have to believe it's possible because I believe in the power of God and I believe in the power and the authority of scripture. But that ain't so easy. That ain't so easy. I wanna close with some summary statements around this judgment-free zone thought. And uh, I'm reading a book right now by Dallas Willard. It's called Divine Conspiracy. And he has a lot of things to say about the Sermon on the Mount. It's really, it's deep, it's challenging. Um, but I was reading some of his thoughts on this and he had some uh, points and they're his points. And I just thought, man, this is too good not to share. Um, with you, I'll add some of my own thoughts, but each one of these points I want to let you know, it's not, this is not mine, it's from, this, it's from the book. And so I just thought it was really, really good. And so I wanted to share with you. Living life as a judgment-free zone, ministering without judgment requires spiritual humility and the compassion of love. I think of Galatians 6.1, when Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit, you're not living by the flesh, you're living by the spirit of God in your life. You who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also, you also may be tempted. You who live by the spirit, restore someone. I, I, believe, I believe that there is a difference 
between a religious judgmental spirit and making right judgments and under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, seeking to restore someone gently. I think there's a difference in those two realities. But again, ministering without judgment requires spiritual humility and compassion. Second point, the correction to be done is not to straighten them out. We like to use that word like, I need to call you out. Well, call yourself out. Here's your sign, you know. No. I, and I think that's important. It's like, is my spirit to call them out, to straighten them out? Or is my spirit to restore them gently because of love and compassion? Those who live by the spirit seek to restore. And the aim of restoration is always to bring people back to the heart of God and the path of Jesus, which is to set us free. And thirdly, Lastly, only, only, only humility in our life puts us in a position to minister with correction. The ones correcting must know that they could very well do the same thing or worse. I, I need to be careful. I'm just talking in first person with you. I need to be careful because I know what my flesh is capable of. Straight up, I need to be careful. And if I'm gonna move towards someone in love, I need to make sure I am in, in with the spirit and that I'm operating with a lot of humility to go, I gotta be careful because this could easily be me or something worse. True humility removes any sense of self-righteousness and spiritual superiority. And I would say to you, self-righteousness and, and spiritual superiority certainly, certainly makes biblical restoration impossible. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, or the, Matthew writes this in verse 28. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. There are some serious things in grace, in the empowerment of grace, but serious things for us to hear, listen, practice, be transformed by. My question, your question is, Lord, Lord, stir me in amazement. Stir me in amazement. So that, so that all of my anger Lord, and all of my lust, Lord, and all of my flesh, Lord, and all of my judgment and all of my worry could be rooted out of my life. 
enough to the degree that like, I will seek first the kingdom of God and believe that all these things will be added unto me as well. I, I, I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is a radical, radical life changer for who we are in our profession and who we are in our practice. A radical life changer. Jesus opening our eyes to the way of his kingdom grace, reorienting us away from the world, religion, and our flesh into the heart of the Father. I um, have one quote to finish with. Uh, We got Dallas Willard today. We got Jerry Bridges today. We're gonna finish with Oswald Chambers. My utmost for his highest. But bam. Um, I saw this and I was like, oh yeah, that's the one. That's the one. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus. It is to be understood out of the empowerment of our identity in Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live. We will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. Holy Spirit, have your way in me and us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we will sing of the goodness of God. And Lord, we we will allow the goodness of God to come into our souls to make us more like the Son. To catch up more and more and more in our lives with who we totally, completely radically are in our standing. Lord, help us see the Sermon on the Mount not as principles to obey as separate from our identification with you, but actually a vision of how we could bring heaven to earth in our lives, not for our glory, but for your glory and your renown and the fame of your name, King Jesus, Holy Spirit, have, have your way.